little bit more about us. You want to know who we are, what's our vision, why are we here? It's tonight at 5 o'clock when we'll be right here in this room or possibly in the parlor right behind us. Uh, child care is provided and a light refreshment will be provided as well. But that's tonight, 5 o'clock. So if you want to join us, that's a series of classes that we do. So there's, there's four of them total. We do them on the first Sunday of the month, second Sunday, third and fourth Sunday. This is essentially our partnership program. So if, you, if you're looking to partner with us or you just want to learn more, you can come to the first one. First one, the next one is about serving, owning the mission, and then plugging in. So we have four different classes. They're just about an hour long. It's really just an opportunity for you to get to know more about what we're doing and how to get involved, okay? All right, the last and biggest announcement that I'm so excited about is we have brand new t-shirts. For those of you that have been watching, everybody loves the, the uh, original t-shirt, which is the one in the upper left. We've got a couple more, and today is the last day that you can order your t-shirts, okay? We've got a Buckeye one coming up for the uh, Buckeye season, just in time. OH. Oh, thank you. Wow, there's my people. All right, I was a little worried nobody was going to answer me on that. Like, oh, well. Oh. And then the My Church is Simple uh, t-shirt, which I love. I think it's hilarious. So you can order those today at the end of service. You can go out to the info table. Today will be your last day to be able to do that, and then we'll order the shirts this week and have them hopefully in time for Refresh Reynoldsburg, okay? T-shirts are $10 each, and uh, we have all kinds of sizes you can choose from. So, all right, cool. So, now on to the important stuff. We are right in the middle of a series called Greater. This is a, a series based on the book by the same title, and the pastor's name is Stephen Furtick. He wrote the book. So if you want to read along with us, that's fantastic. I would highly recommend it. It's a very easy read. It's one of those things you can take on vacation with you and be done. I read it in about a week and a half, <clears throat> just reading a chapter or two a day. And it's a very, very encouraging book. Of course, you're going to hear most of the stuff from the book right here. Um, but uh, I, I like to read things along or read along with, with sermon series and I like to, uh, to get it into my spirit and really let it challenge me to live everything that it's, that it's challenging you to do. And so last week we talked about burning our plows and the whole story of greater focuses on one guy and his name is Elisha and Elisha is a prophet. Okay. And Elisha, what a prophet was, a prophet was the voice of God in that time period. There were Kings, there were warriors there were priests, but there was a prophet. And a prophet was usually a guy who was not welcome on the scene, right? Prophet would walk up on the scene and everybody's like, oh no, here comes the prophet. And the prophet would deliver some kind of word, say, hey, this is where you're in sin. This is what's going on in the kingdom. God says, this is going to happen to you. In fact, they would even call them seers because these guys would see down the road for them. The kings would call them up and say, hey, should we go into battle this day? Or should what should we do? And the seer or the prophet would tell them what they needed to do. Okay, And so this is who Elisha is. Now, Elisha does not have the reputation for being the greatest prophet in the world. He's actually, uh, his boss or his mentor, Elijah, is considered the greatest prophet. And so last week we talked about Elijah finding Elisha in the field. And he cast his mantle on him. And Elisha, in order to give up his humdrum life, the life that he was already living, his everyday life, the life that was safe, riding a plow, Elisha took his plow and he burned it. He killed his cattle, which is a representation of his finances. And he said, every, every bit of social status that I have, I'm going to give up. I'm going to give it all up. And my plow, the thing that I do, the thing that I'm comfortable with, the thing that I've done every day, the thing that I've relied on, he burned it so that he couldn't go back to it. So there was no plan B for his life at that point. And so he joins Elijah and becomes his student or and, uh, and and follows him around everywhere okay and so last week we talked about in our lives burning that plow what did that mean it was giving up something 
so that we can have what's greater in our life. What is that thing? And only God can show you that. And you guys, we handed out little cards to everybody. You guys wrote down stuff. And I want you to know I prayed over those this week. I even burned them in my fire pit and prayed over them while I was burning them. Not like it was some kind of ceremonial thing and, and you know, that there was some kind of special power in that. But I'm telling you, as I sat there and as I was burning those plows, burning those things that you guys wrote down, I felt so close to the Spirit of God in those moments when I was praying for you. So I want you to know I did that this week. And I'm praying that everything that you decided, I'm going to lay down, that you have the strength to be able to do that. Amen? So this week we're, uh, we are jumping into the second part of the story. And uh, let me set it up for you. This is, uh, the, the Kings hasn't talked about Elisha since uh, Elijah left. Okay, so Elisha's kind of just wandered off into obscurity again. Elijah's already been taken up into the clouds by a chariot of fire. Listen, I can't make this stuff up. It's actually in the Bible. It's very, very, very cool. If you if you dive into it and read it, the Old Testament is one of my favorite places. There's so much drama. Um, anyway, so Elijah, Elisha is the prophet in control now or in, in command in the, in the time period. And there are three kings. There is Judah, Israel, and Edom. And uh they, they are, so Israel is broken into two camps, by the way, the north and the south. That's Judah, the north, the south is Israel, okay? King of Judah, Jehoshaphat, God bless you, I understand. <laughs> Jehoshaphat is a good king. He follows, he's a, he's a godly man. The king of the south, the king of Israel, is not a godly man. He's somebody who follows after Baal or false gods, and he does all kinds of things that just, that God's not happy with, Okay? And then there's the king of Edom, and uh, I'm not sure how he fits in all this, but there's a country called Moab, and Moab is revolting against them, these three kings, the, the revolting against Moab. And so where we enter the scene is these guys have decided they're revolting against us, they're not giving us their tribute, they're, they're, they are coming against us and fighting us, we're going to go ahead and put an end to them. So that's where the scene picks up. So the three kings are deciding, how should we go about attacking these guys? And so we, it says, by what route shall we attack? And one of the kings answered, through the desert of Edom. So they've made a decision. They're going to go through the desert in order to get to Moab to tear these guys up for wreaking havoc in their countries. Okay? And we're going to pick up in the Bible, in 2 Kings 3, we're going to be reading a, a good chunk of verse today, but I promise I'll get through it. It's 9 through 25. By the way, if you don't have a Bible today and you'd like one, I do have Bibles in the back of the room, I can, and I have hosts that have them. If you would just put your hand in the air and let us know you need a Bible, this is a gift to you. You get to keep this Bible. In fact, when you get it, there's pens on your chair. You can write your name in the front, take it home. That Bible is for you. So if you just raise your hand and let us know you need one, we can get you one. No takers? Okay, cool. All right. Thanks, Chuck. I appreciate you being on the ball there, bro. Okay, so we are in 2 Kings 3, and we're going to go to verse 9. And so the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them. Okay, so basically what they've done is they are going to attack Moab. They've decided to go through the desert of Edom. I don't know why they chose to go through a desert. I would say that, that when you read through the Old Testament, you see time and time again kings that were godly went to the seer or went to their priest and said, what should we do? Should we attack? Which way should we go? How do we do it? Because God, we don't want to do this without you. But in this instance, we don't even see that they did that. They decided to go through the desert. So here they are on their own effort, at their own advice, they're gone through the desert. And they wind up after a roundabout march of seven days. So they've been seven days in the desert. They no longer have any water. Now, I don't know about you, but if I don't have any water, 
Like for the day, I get headaches. I know I can get irritable. You can even get sick from that. But these guys are no water and they're out in the heat. Now, I don't know how many of you guys actually work outside during the day, but if you don't stay hydrated, you know that you can get very, very sick. And so we've got not just three kings, we've got three kings and their armies. We've got their cavalry, their horses, and we've got their cattle that they're probably using to provide themselves with milk or meat, something. They are all traveling through the desert at this point. We're talking thousands upon thousands of people, three kingdoms, through the desert, and they're suddenly without water. That's a scary situation. Verse 10, it says, What? exclaimed the king of Israel. This is the king of the south. Has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? Now remember, this is the king, the king of the south. This is the wicked king. All of a sudden, he's blaming God. Isn't that funny how we do that? It's ironic how God is the first to get the blame when everything is going wrong, but the last to get the credit in our lives when things are going well. I just think it's ironic. There's, there's a story. A pastor wrote a book, and uh, his name's Perry Noble. And in the book, he tells a story that, you know, if we think about planes, there are thousands and thousands of planes every day that go up in the air and land safely every day. And you don't hear God getting any credit for any of that. But one plane goes down, and it's all over the news. And why would God let this happen? You know, and everybody's losing their mind, you know, instead of being thankful. <laughs> anyway, so this is what's happening here. They're in the desert. They've got no water. They didn't ask God how to get there, or if they, whether they should go that way or not in the first place. But here they are, and they're blaming God. In verse 11, it says, But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord here? See, he knows. He knows better. And how he got tricked into going in the first place is beyond me. But he says, Through whom we may inquire of the Lord. An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Now, Elisha doesn't even have a reputation. In fact, the only reputation he's got is that he served Elijah. That's it. So he's of no, no report to these guys, or no, no reputation to these guys. They have no idea who he is, but they know he's the current prophet, right? And uh, it, it's funny to me. Joe always says here, he, he always says, you know, all we can do is pray. You know, and he says, isn't that really funny? And I love how he says, he says, isn't it really funny how we use prayer or we use God as a last resort? Instead of asking him in the beginning, hey, what should we be doing? And then follow that. Wait until we're in trouble. And then we go, well, I guess we've done everything we can do. We might as well pray now, right? And then kind of off, isn't that kind of like opposite how we should be doing it, right? We should begin with prayer and then do what we can do. But these guys, that's exactly what they've done. They said, well, all we can do is pray. Let's find the prophet. But you know what would happen if they'd have prayed first? So Jehoshaphat says in verse 12, he says, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel... And Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. You notice these guys don't even get names in this verse, by the way. They keep saying Jehoshaphat, but they don't say the other guy's names, right? And Elisha said to the king of Israel, why do you want to involve me? Go to the prophets of your father and prophets of your mother. So here's Elisha. They bring him in, and he looks at him and says, <clears throat> why are you messing with me? To the, to the king of the south, the wicked king. You've got prophets. You've got false prophets. Why are, why are you bothering with me? You don't serve my God. And, and I, love the, I love the next part. He said, because it was the, uh, the king says, no, the king of Israel answered, because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to deliver us into the hands of Moab. Moab. This guy knows what to say in order to get what he wants from Elisha, right? This wicked king. And Elisha said, I love what he says here. This just, 
I said last week that, that he, uh, he reminds me of me. He's a little sarcastic. He says, Elisha says, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not pay any attention to you. He's laying the smack down. He's talking some smack, right? It's like, if it weren't for Jehoshaphat, I wouldn't even be talking to you. Now, he's talking to a king, right? Uh, have you guys ever seen Alice in Wonderland? She's like, off with your hands. You painted my roses red. That's what a king can do to you if you say the wrong thing to him. And here's Elijah talk, Elisha talking smack to one of these kings, to the king of the south, and, uh, and, which is the area where he lives, by the way. And uh, <laughs> I just think it's awesome. But Elisha's immediately in the flesh, you know? Anybody know what that means? Get in the flesh. It's like you're operating of your own accord. You're operating of, of who you are and realizing that this is a guy who totally disses your God. And you're like, eh, I don't even want to deal with you right now. And that's where Elisha's at. He's completely in the flesh. He knows what he's saying is of himself. And so he stops and he does what most of us do in this situation. Um, he calls for a harpist. <laughs> <laughs> He calls for a harpist. Yeah, yeah. Come on up, Joe. You can play a harp. <laughs> Gina, maybe you can get us a little sound on your keyboard. But, but Elisha calls for a harpist. In, in verse 15, he says, But now bring me a harpist. And while the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came on Elisha. Why? Before he was speaking on his own. He was speaking of his own accord. And he knew that he needed to connect with God. It's exactly why we have worship prior to this time where I speak the word. Because we can connect with God. We prepare our hearts. We get into a position of hearing from him. And so he, of course, knows that. And so because worship ushers in the presence of God, that's exactly what he's doing. Get me the harpist. Let's play some music. And in that moment, the hand of the Lord comes on Elisha and he says to him, Thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. This is where we're going to land today, and we're going to talk about digging a ditch. Anybody here ever dug a ditch before? I mean, like with your hands, like either your hand or a shovel or maybe a spade. It's hard work. When you're done digging ditches, you're like, oh, oh I don't want to dig another ditch. But if that's your job, that's what you got to do every day. So Elisha tells these guys to dig a ditch. Now, I want you to think about who he's talking to for a moment. He's not just talking to the kings. He, they're in the middle of a desert. They're in the middle of a hot desert. They're all dehydrated. They've got no water. Now, I don't know about you, but we've got three different kingdoms here. And I don't know if any of you guys have brothers and sisters, but you put me and my brothers into a room, there's going to be there's a little bit of tension between us. There's some competition for the love of our parents or for, for the remote control or for whatever that may be. There's egos and there's attitudes in the room. And so, but we've got three different kingdoms kind of like the same thing, except the situation just got a little more intense because now everybody's irritable because they're dehydrated. Because it's hot, they have no hope for the future. And here's the thing. you got to know that the guys, the little men, the soldiers ran out of water long before the king ever did. Before it got to the king that that was the situation because you know the king was getting the last drop of water that was available. You know what I mean? And we've got three of these guys. So these guys may have been without water for a while and Elisha says to him this. Dig ditches. They're at their limit already. They're already exhausted. They've been in the desert for seven days. I've never personally been in the desert, but I've been outside on a hot summer day, and it's just not my favorite thing. Okay? But seven days of that in the desert. 
and now they're out of water. And he says, I want to stretch you beyond where you've been before. I'm going to stretch you beyond where you are now. And I want you to dig ditches. Elisha makes an assumption also that they've got shovels. Who's to say that they had <laughs> shovels? I mean, if you think about the Bible, if you actually read the Bible and think about what you're reading, these are warriors. They're probably not carrying ditches. Now, I do know that the people of Israel had a custom that, they, that when they used the restroom, they had like a little spade. Like I'm talking like a little spade that they would go outside of their tent, they would dig a little hole, they would do their business, and they would cover it back up because, they, because God was walking through the camp and he didn't want to step in. It's in the Bible. I promise you it's there. And so I know that they may have had a little spade like that. But now we're talking about digging ditches. He said, make this valley full of ditches. Not just one, not just two, not one for every man. We're talking the full valley full of ditches. And so maybe some of them had to take some of their, their swords and beat them into shovels. This is a trip to the smithy, and the smithy's got to do that. We've got some more time. I just imagine what this process looked like and where it went for these guys. And so he tells them to dig ditches. I think I probably would have looked at him sideways and said, I'm good. I'm going to make it seven days back. That's what I'm going to try to do on my, on my dehydration. But it was a simple thing that he asked him to do. So if we remember last week, we talked about God not being interested in our full understanding of what he's asked us to do, but being more interested in our obedience. In this situation, these guys not only have a direct order, they've, they've said, Lord, we need... And he says, okay, this is how you get it. And if you do that, if you'll dig ditches, I'll do this for you, which we'll see in the next verses. But God doesn't always do that. We talked about burning the plows. Elisha had no promise of anything other than I'm going to be the servant to Elijah. In this situation, they've got a promise of if you do what I've asked you to do, I'll give you that. And I'll give you more. Here's what it says. For this is what the Lord says. You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water, and you and your cattle and other animals will drink. In other words, God is going to answer in a really big way. He's asking them to take a step of faith. And that's our challenge today, is when we talk about digging ditches, it's a step of faith. It's an action that's required of us to dig a ditch. And God will reward him. So he lets them know on the other side of this that digging a ditch God's going to fill them. And not only will they be filled, they'll have water, their cattle will have water, and their other animals will have water. They were probably praying for rain, but God said, I'm going to give it to you. You're not even going to see a cloud in the sky. I want you to toil through the night. I want you to dig these ditches, and in the morning, it'll be there for you. I think God's like that. Many times he doesn't answer us in the way that we're expecting or the way that we think he should, right? <laughs> we go, all right, God, this is what I need. This is how I need it. This is what I want. But God's not like that. God requires us to have faith. You know, we think about when he says dig ditches. Why couldn't he have asked him to do something different? You know, maybe what if he had asked him to do something hard? Would they have looked at that and had more value? You know, because digging a ditch was simple. That's just digging a ditch. But what if it was, hey, everybody go put on little loincloths. We're going to dance around and, and look stupid for a couple hours and pray for rain. What if he asked you to do that? Would you have done that? I don't know. But they, he, he, we often ask, why couldn't it be something easier? Can't we just see you do it? Why do we have to work for it? But God's miracles require faith and usually sweat, which is not something we're all a fan of. We jump into 18 through 19. It says, but this is only a simple thing. This is Elisha still talking. But this is only a simple thing for the Lord, for he will make you victorious over the army of Moab. He's continuing on. Not only is God going to answer their prayer, he's going to fill the ditches, but he's also going to give them the victory. 
You will conquer the best of their towns, even the fortified ones. You will cut down all their good trees, stop up all their springs, and ruin all their good land with stones. Verse 20 says, The next day, at about that time, when the morning sacrifice was offered, water suddenly appeared. Not like it fell from the sky. We're talking water suddenly appeared. You can imagine what that looked like. No water. Now there's water. It's like a magic trick. Ta-da! And that's, what, and that's how it happened. Water suddenly appeared. And it was flowing from the direction of Eden, and soon there was water everywhere. Verse 21 says, Meanwhile, when the people of Moab heard about the three armies marching against them, they mobilized every man who was old enough to strap on a sword, and they stationed themselves along the border. But when they got up the next morning, this is the, the Moabites, when they got up the next morning, the sun was shining across the water. This brand new water, by the way, that just appeared. Making it appear red to the Moabites, like blood. And they said, it's blood. The three armies must have attacked and killed each other. Let's go, men of Moab, and collect the plunder. But when the Moabites arrived at the Israelite camp, the army of Israel rushed out and attacked them and until they turned and ran. And the army of Israel chased them into the land of Moab, destroying everything as they went. God gave them a huge victory. But that victory came because they dug ditches. They needed water. What they wanted more than anything was a victory. God gave them what they needed and what they wanted. All because they took a step of faith and they dug ditches. They, they, they obeyed. And let's be honest, we all want greater until we have to dig ditches, right? Right. There's times when God will inspire you, maybe here on a Sunday morning, or maybe when you're reading a book, you feel like you can change the world, you know? How many of you guys have just ever been ready to charge hell with a squirt gun? Ah! No? Nobody? All right. I know for me, I get, I get really excited. There's a time, I, I remember a particular instance, I was in my bedroom reading the Bible, and I came across this verse, and, and, and uh, it said that you could ask Jesus for anything you wanted to, and he would give it to you. Now, I was a young guy, I was immature, I still didn't understand what all that meant. But I remember being so excited that I ran upstairs and I was like, Mom, do you know this is in the Bible? She's like, what's in the Bible? And I read it to her and I said, Jesus said we could ask anything in his name and he would give it to us. We could move mountains. And she goes, yeah, yeah, I knew it was there. I said, why aren't you more excited? And I ran around the house. I did, I did that. I got very excited because I was like, this is in the Bible. This is insane. Look at what Jesus has done for us. And my mom just said, yeah, it's cool. Go right downstairs. I said, I did. She, you know, she was excited for me. But some of us, we get that inspiration, and then, you know, we leave here, or, and we go home, and, you know, we decide, hey, one of the plows we're going to burn, we're going to be a better parent. Or, and, but we go home, and our kids start screaming. <coughs> ah! We start losing our minds, or they're losing their minds. Or maybe your bills start adding up against you. Maybe your spouse starts yelling at you, like, you know, right as you get in the car when you leave church. Or, I don't know about you, but I oftentimes will have my devotion time. Like, as soon as I'm done with my devotion, reading my Bible and praying, I'll come out of there and I'm just met with something that just ruins everything that I just read and everything that I decided I was going to be for the day, according to that scripture. And it just happens all the time. But greater goes beyond a feeling. Because all those are just feelings that you're dealing with, right? And it starts with digging a ditch. Most of the time, we just want to skip right over that digging the ditch part. And we want to get to the miracle. But these guys had to dig all night in order to get to their miracle. Because faith always requires an action, and it's hardly ever comfortable. So I got a question. Are we digging ditches? The more ditches we dig, the bigger the miracle. Many of us 
have no ditches dug at all. In fact, we live this comfortable life on our plow every day. We don't pray big prayers. We don't dream big dreams. We don't really believe that Jesus said, the works that I do, you will do, and greater. We don't believe those things. If we did, we'd be doing them, right? I know in my life, I'm not doing greater things than Jesus. And so, but God filled every ditch that they dug. And if God were to fill all of your ditches right now, what would you have? What would that look like for you? What could you accomplish? What have you prepared in faith for God to fill? You know, Simple Church began digging ditches long before you guys were ever here. There are some of you that I was digging ditches for in prayer long before you even knew you were going to come today. There are some that I was up in the middle of the night walking the floor over with your name on my heart, praying for you. And you didn't even know that. And I've never even told you that. But that's what God's done. He's caused me to dig ditches. And for these guys that are here at Simple Church that are serving you, to dig ditches and prepare a place for you. And they've done that. We did the same thing. We're digging ditches with our with the, with the parade and with the, and, and with the fireworks, being at the fireworks. We're digging ditches. We're preparing for God to fill this place and to do an amazing work in Reynoldsburg. Planning a church is hard work, but we just keep on digging. We keep on digging, believing that God's going to fill our ditches. Keep on digging. A lot of us, we like to say we're going to dig those ditches, but most of us, we maneuver our lives so that we don't ever have to really do that, so we don't have to have faith at all. But how much faith does your current life require? Let me just ask you that. Think about that for a second. How much faith are you currently living on? What's faith? Faith is, is taking action on what God's told, told you to do. Has he called you to do something? Has he given you something and put his hand on something in your life and said, hey, you need to either do this or not do that? Are you following that at his direction? That's a step of faith. These soldiers were dehydrated in the desert with no sign of water or relief coming. And God says, dig a ditch. They were tired, they were exhausted, but in faith they dug. And God's miracle matched their faith. You know, God gives you the faith to get started. Today, you're sitting here and you're listening to this and you're like, all right, I'm going to dig a ditch. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And faith is rising on the inside of you. And only you know what that ditch looks like for you. But God gives you the faith to get started, but then comes the work. Because without the work, our faith is dead. Right? Many of us last week, we took a huge step of faith and we burned our plows. We said, this is the plow that we're going to do. But now comes the work. That was a step of faith and a boldness to write that down and say, this is what I'm going to give up. But now comes that work. You've got to work at it. Whatever that plow was that you said you were going to burn, you've got to work now. Faith is action and faith is work. And there are two reasons well-intentioned people get stuck after we burn our plows. One is, we don't think big. We don't really believe what the Bible says about our God that we serve. The Bible says that to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I could ever ask or think. That means the moment you can think something, God's already passed it. And God is limitless in who he is. God is not bound by, the, by our world. God is not bound by our rules. God is great. He can do anything. But we don't dream that way. 
And so we have to think big enough. We have to dream. Are the dreams in your heart and the prayers you're praying bigger than you? Bigger than your bank account? Bigger than your natural talent? Bigger than your relationships? Are they? If God were to give you what you were asking for right now, what would that look like for you? Are we really thinking big enough? Let's be honest. Just because you can dream, it doesn't mean you're going to see it happen. You have to be willing to dream big. But dreaming big means that there's a next step and that's the action and that's starting small dream big or think big and start small some of us look at the small things and say that's not worthy of my time but i promise you it is some of you say well one of my big dreams is that that i'll i'll understand the bible a little more or i'll read my bible every day for like an hour and it would be amazing and me and jesus will just have this experience i don't know if that's your dream start small Start with five minutes a day. Maybe five minutes every other day. Don't feel such a heavy burden to be like, man, it's so far away, I'll never be that. Yes, a little bit at a time. A little bit at a time. Start small. <laughs> I remember my first Bible study before I, I was ever a pastor. One guy showed up. I'm pretty sure he stopped at the bar before he came to my house. The conversation we had was a lot of fun that day. And... Uh, you know, that was a small step for me. And I could have been discouraged and said, this isn't worth it. This isn't going to work based on my first experience. Start small. Keep digging. Keep digging. Have faith. These kings needed a huge miracle. They dreamed big, and God asked them to start small, and they did, just by digging a ditch. <laughs> David started small. David was a shepherd. Killed a lion and a bear, and the next thing you know, he kills Goliath, the giant. He started small, dreaming big. Noah heard the voice of God to build a boat in a time when there was no rain. Like, rain hadn't even happened yet. And when God says, I'm going to flood the earth with rain, Noah's like, what's rain? You have to have that concept explained to you. And so he builds a boat that takes him a long time to build. One board, one nail at a time. Small things. Steps of faith. He's digging his ditches. When we do what we can do, God does what only he can do, right? But think about that. Small steps, small things. Digging a ditch might not have required much of these guys, but it was their act of obedience. And when they did that, their ditches were filled. God always says, you go first, step out in faith, and I'll fill every ditch that you've got. He requires that of us in order to please him. We have to have faith. Big dreams without a small start are nothing but a daydreaming. God initiates those dreams in your life, but you've got to follow up with the action. Sometimes it gets hard, though. Digging ditches is not fun. Back will hurt. Arms will hurt. When you're praying over and over again, maybe for that lost loved one, or you're praying over and over again, or you're, you're doing this action over and over again, maybe you're trying to get physically fit. That's tough. It can be discouraging. Maybe you want to quit. But I want to encourage you today. Keep digging. Keep digging. <laughs> Digging's not easy. God never said it would be, but it's his prerequisite for a miracle, right? Digging comes before greater. You want to see God move in your life, you have to start small. Start digging. This is if God says, show us your faith, and I will show you my faithfulness. What small steps and practical preparations is God asking you to make for the greater life he wants you to live? Do you know what those are? 
For me, I know what one of them is. It's sitting on my desk for a year, almost. And we took care of it on Friday night, and I just felt so great. It was such a small step in my, my wife and I's life to personal financial freedom and responsibility. And we spent two hours doing that on Friday night. It was just a small ditch. It was two hours of my time. And we did it. We're going to keep on digging. And we're going to believe that God's going to bless that. Because we, we want to be completely debt-free. I don't know about you guys, but that's something, that's one of my big dreams. Just got to dig a little bit. Take small steps. When you do those things, God will reward you. But are you positioning yourself to receive greater from God? You know, I just want to challenge you today. Some of, some of us, we look at a ditch and we go, that's not, that's not what we're going to do. I'm not going to dig that ditch. I don't trust that that's what God wants for me. But the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he'll make your path straight. To me, that's an exciting thing. But if I'll just commit my ways to him, follow Ben and dig a ditch, then he'll bless it. So I just want to challenge you today. What ditches are, ditches are you digging in prayer? Long before I was standing in front of you, I was digging ditches for this church in prayer. What ditches are you digging in your life with your actions, with your talents, with where you serve? What ditches, ditches are you digging? Some of you, that ditch is just crossing a line of faith and accepting Christ as your Savior and saying, you know what, I'm not perfect, but I'll start small. And it starts with a prayer. It starts with a, Jesus, I believe in you. The Bible says with the heart, man believes. So if you're sitting there right now and you've been listening, or maybe you've been coming to church and you haven't made Jesus Lord of your life, maybe that's your ditch. Maybe that's your first step. That God can fill that if you'll dig a ditch. So if that's you, I want every head bowed, every eyes closed. I'm not going to embarrass anybody here. I'm just asking, just so that I know you're here. If you have never crossed that line of salvation or faith, to committed to being into a relationship with Jesus, and that's something you feel like, Aaron, I want to dig a ditch today. I want to take a step of faith. I want to step out there. I'm not going to be perfect. I know I'm not going to be perfect but I'm going to try. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Nobody's looking around. Just let me know that you're here. If you're uncomfortable raising your hand, that's okay. You can just mark it on your connection cards, but I want to pray for you. You can put your hands down now. Thank you. And then there's some of you that are here and you say, you know what, Aaron? I hear what you're saying and I need to dig a ditch. I've been praying too small. I don't believe that God is really as big as the Bible says he is. I haven't been dreaming big. Or maybe I have been dreaming big. God's given me that dream and I've prayed, but I've stopped digging. My back's hurt. I'm tired. I want to pray for you as well. God specializes in filling things which are empty. We've got to dig ditches. So I'm going to pray for you now. Father, I thank you for everyone that is here today. Lord, I thank you that you draw, drew them here that everyone in the sound of my voice is here with a purpose, is here for a divine moment, a moment which you've called them to, a moment in which you're asking, will you believe in me? Will you believe and dig a ditch? Will you obey? 
those, Lord, that have said, I want to cross that line of faith. Lord, I pray for them. I pray that you would fill their lives now. Show them how to live their life every day by the power of your Holy Spirit that will fill them. Lord, help them to know you. Help them to know your love. Help them to know that in this moment right now, because of accepting Christ, all that they've done, their past, is forgiven. Every sin they'll ever commit in the future will be forgiven. They'll just ask, forgive me, Lord. Thank you for every life that is being changed by your power right now, Holy Spirit. I pray for those that have been have not been dreaming big, that you would give us dreams that would be inspired by your limitless power, God. That you would fill this room and fill our hearts with dreams and prayers that would honor you with how big they are. And that as we dream these dreams, you would show us how to start small and dig a ditch. And then as we do that, that you would fill it, Lord. I pray for those who have been laboring, who have gone exhausted, Lord. You encourage us to not weary in good doing. So I pray for those who have been laboring, who have been digging that ditch for a long time. I pray that you would strengthen them. Renew their faith. Renew their hearts. And fill their ditches, God answer. Provide more than they expected. Lord, they, they're only asking for their ditch to be filled. I ask God that you would give them more just like you did in the Bible for these kings. That as you fill their ditch, you would cause other things in their lives to be set straight. That you would cause relationships to be restored. Lives to be changed. Hearts to be mended. Addictions broken. Things they didn't even ask for. Things they didn't even know to dream for. Jesus, we love you. You're a wonder. So worthy of all of the glory and praise that we can offer you. Pray that we come to understand that. And have faith to trust in you. To dig our ditches.